So the church, the church is not a club. It's really not. Uh, there's not a membership fee to become part of the church. The church isn't a place or a thing with consumable activities that we just think, oh man, what does the church need? What are things that we can keep people busy with? And we do that. No, not at all. The church rather is a freed people that live under the rule and reign of King Jesus. So I'll say this again, that the church is the freed people of God who live under the rule and reign of King Jesus. Let me tell you the story. Okay, this is the story of the whole Bible, quickly, right? In the beginning was God. We believe in a God who is eternal, never had a beginning, never has an ending, calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, which is the Greek letters of the alphabet, uh, the A to Z, that he is it. He is a summation of everything. He's always, always existed and he made everything. And you say, ah, I don't believe that. That's all right. Keep tracking with me. All right. So we believe in a God who makes everything. And at the apex, the pinnacle of his creation, he makes humanity. And he makes us in his image that our primary identity is the image of God, human, human. And he gave us so much favor and he said, I want for you to work with me as a child does with their father to take dominion over everything on the earth and to make it beautiful. And I want you to live. So God made us for life so that we would have value, meaning, and purpose all the time. That we would have no end. And our life would be one in relationship with him as I would be in relationship with someone else and, and walk with them through the snow to make it to the church gathering. Uh, so the Lord walked with humanity. That we found our identity in him, who we were in him. But we as humanity gave God the finger. We said, ah, we have a better idea. We have a better idea of how to do things. And so we rebelled against him. And when we rebelled, something called the curse came onto everything. And we couldn't make it go away. If you've ever seen the epic theological drama of, what, what is it called now? That was such an epic introduction. Megamind, there it is. I'm thinking blue person. Megamind. Megamind is the villain. He starts out as a villain, and I'm gonna ruin Megamind for you. You should have seen it. It was an old movie. Uh, but he starts out as a villain, and then the superhero actually retires and goes and grows a beard and stuff. And, and then Megamind has to be the hero again. So Megamind does this religious transformation. By good works, he becomes a good man. Well, we are the opposite. We can't scrub the curse. The curse goes deep into our heart. It's, it's pumping curse into everything that's happening. Even things we do with the best intentions. Have you ever done that? You tried to do a good deed with good intentions. It was misunderstood. It's like, man, can anything I do not be broken? This is our story. This is the curse that we're under. But... God said, I'm gonna fix this curse. I'm gonna come and change everything. I'm gonna give you new hearts. I'm gonna give humans new hearts. I'm gonna suck the curse out of everything in the world by remaking it and reconciling the unholy with the holy by making the unholy holy. And do you know how he does it? Not through a religious plan, but through him coming, that God himself, this is what we celebrate at Christmas time, God himself takes on flesh, comes and dwells amongst humanity. Humans screwed it up, so God becomes a man to fix it. Jesus lives a life that our first parents could not live. He lives a life that you can't live. You and I find our identity in money, in sexuality, in vocation, in a whole host of things. 
it's skewed, we're broken, we've missed the identity that we were made for, but Jesus says, ah, I'm here to fix that. And do you know how he fixes it? Not by giving us a plan to follow, but by being brutally murdered on a cross. The Holy One wears our unholiness, our rebellion, our sin on himself, on the cross, why? So that you can have your unholiness, your rebellion sucked out of you. So many self-help books that are trying to get at this. How can I be a better this? How can I be a better this? But Jesus says, no, none of it's gonna work. But I'll come and I'll remove the brokenness from you so that you can become whole. I'll remove the slavery from you so that you can be a freed man or woman, that you can be free. You can be free. So Jesus on the cross wears our rebellion so that we can wear his righteousness. He's put inside of the tomb. Three days later, he rises victorious. And he says, what I'm offering you is not something just good until you die here. I'm offering something that goes beyond the grave because I've gone beyond the grave. When Jesus came out of the tomb, death remained in the tomb and has slowly been dying ever since. John Owen, this brilliant 17th century theologian, says that the death of death happened in the death of Christ. The death of death happened in the death of Christ. So Jesus is alive, he's moving, he's calling people to himself. It doesn't matter what you believed two minutes ago, he's calling you to himself to examine who he is and what he has done. And we'll talk about what happens beyond this morning that we as a church are the freed people under Jesus, the resurrected king who made us for him, to enjoy him, not to beat us down, to be satisfied by him, not to follow his moral code, to be in relationship with him, not to show him how worthy we are. Jesus has done all of the work for us. This is what separates Christianity from religion. And it's all about the finished work of Jesus. That's why Jesus is my hero. Tom Brady, I mean, he is the greatest of all time football, but compared to Jesus, I can't wait to see Jesus be quarterback in the new creation. I can't wait to watch, I don't like musicals all that much, but I bet Jesus is gonna kill it at musicals, right? I can't wait to see Jesus do all of these things in the new creation, it'll be epic. But we are the freed people under Jesus and he loves his people. He loves his people and he communicates with his people. And that's what we get insight into this morning. Revelation was written in the first century. It's apocalyptic and prophetic literature, which, I mean, we don't really have apocalyptic literature today. So it's something that we misunderstand a lot of times. But it's communicated to, to the church. And the first, well, the second and third chapters in this book are, are letters. So we recognize letters or emails or messages and last week we looked at a message that Jesus gave to the to church at Ephesus, a city in Asia Minor. This morning I wanna look at a message that Jesus gives to the church in Smyrna. Okay, 40 miles, ah, what is that kilometers? 55-ish, six, you know, you can imagine, right? More than walking distance up. Uh, from Ephesus, uh, a city of 100,000 people. Uh, it was founded three times. You know, so how, how arrogant do you need to be to show up in a city that's already founded and be like, I founded this city. Uh, but it was lastly founded by Alexander the Great. So there you go. Uh, very wealthy city. It was a center of science and medicine. So if you're 
shouldn't say geeking out. If you are very intelligent uh, inside of science and, and medicine, then, um, then maybe you could relate to the people of, of Smyrna. But the religion, the religion is this. The religion was emperor worship. There were uh, temples that were built to worship the emperor, to, to worship Rome and the power that Rome had. It was really a cult. And the way into public influence and to succeed in Smyrna was that you had to be deeply embedded into emperor worship. You had to be. Otherwise, you just didn't have a place of influence. You had to get the tattoo. You had to get the the thing, whatever it was, to be recognized as a worshiper of the emperor. And here's the problem. That the cult of emperor worship was opposed to the gospel. Gospel, when I say that, I mean good news of Jesus. What I shared with us at the beginning, the freed people of Jesus, right? It's the good news of what Jesus has done. So the cult opposes the gospel. They, they, they don't go together. Oil and vinegar, it doesn't matter how much you shake them. They will never make mayonnaise unless you add something else. Never, right? They don't go together. Why? Because Rome said Caesar is Lord, and now we have this new group that says, no, Jesus is Lord, You can't say Jesus is Lord in Rome. You can't do it. And so the gospel, this new movement of the church, is anti-Rome in that we have a different Caesar. We have a different Lord. Someone calls the ultimate shots differently than the rest of this world power. Uh, It was bad in in Smyrna. Polycarp, uh, the bishop of Smyrna uh, was martyred in 155 AD for refusing to burn incense to the emperor, right? So if you didn't get behind what emperor worship was about, they just removed you. You could not have a, a viable life in Smyrna as an openly professing follower of Jesus. Imagine that. You know, Paula just shared this morning about an opportunity that was removed from her. But imagine if every opportunity was removed from all of us because we're followers of Jesus. That was Smyrna. So people are examining their lives and saying, "Mm, weighing out Jesus versus never succeeding in anything, weighing out Jesus and my future, weighing out Jesus and my family, like everything has to come on the table when they were figuring out, do I really believe in Jesus? So it's not like, "Mm, I think that all religions lead to the same place. Not that, it's, they clearly don't. If you don't belong to the religion of emperor worship, then you don't succeed in our town. They don't all lead to the same place. So this is a hurting community. This is a poor community. And so Jesus writes to her. And he starts out with who he is. Because you know what, in the end, it's not about seven ways to have a better marriage. It's not about seven ways to fix your kids. You need more ways than that. Uh, It's not about three ways to graduate without cheating. It's no principles or morals. Honestly, when we get into the hardest situations, you know what we don't need is to conjure up lists. Uh, What was that list that guy said? If I could just follow these 21 steps, then I'd be free in this moment. Oh, we need Jesus. This is why Jesus begins with who he is to this hurting community. So read with me, Revelation 2, verse 8. To the angel or messenger, 
okay, of the church in Smyrna, right? The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. This is Jesus speaking to his church. And he identifies himself as the first and the last who died and who came to life. This isn't someone, you think about how you write emails, right? You don't want to sound too arrogant, but you want to be weighty enough that the person's going to read your email. But hi, I'm the first and the last, right? The one who died and who came to life. You're going to pay attention, probably. So Jesus starts out with this epic piece of who he is. I'm the eternal one. I'm the sovereign one. I'm the one over everything that you're experiencing and going through right now. I'm the one that no one can take, right? I'm the one that nobody can beat. I beat death. That's the epic, most epic dinner conversation that you can have, right? Like I did this, I I beat death. That's pretty amazing, right? No one else has that card. So Jesus beats death. You can't take him. He's not just a consultant, Christianity is not this gathering to consult Jesus on a few things. He's the eternal sovereign one who beats death that you can't take and says, I'm a living refuge for you. So imagine the church he's writing to being beat up. We're gonna look at their afflictions in just a minute, but life was not good for them. And Jesus shows up, he says, hey, I'm the first and the last. I'm the sovereign one. I'm over every thung, over everything, thung. I'm eternal and I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I, I know your pain that you're going through. And what we're going to see from Jesus is that he doesn't rebuke his church, not this church. Last week we saw a rebuke. He's not going to rebuke. He's only going to encourage this church. In fact, this isn't an easy letter to write at all. I can't imagine writing a letter like this to Church 21. This would be so hard to do. Even harder being Jesus because he knows everything that's actually going to take place. And the call of this letter is this, be faithful and suffer. Huh. Be faithful and suffer. That's your future. Something that bothers me a lot is um, the amount of, of pastors, preachers, um, and that's what bothers me, and I'm saddened by the amount of Christians who just believe this, that if, if you follow Jesus, everything's gonna be all better. And if you just claim something enough, then it's gonna happen, that we become God. And, and we kind of put Jesus in an arm bar that he can't get out of because we said the right hocus pocus words. And so we've made him do what we want for him to do. But that's not Jesus. Jesus instead is the faithful one that suffers for us. He was the perfect sacrifice for us. And I want to say this, that if you're a disciple of Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus is not easy. Read the book of John. Okay, if, if, you, if you've been following Jesus, you can do this. But if you don't know who Jesus is, I'm so glad you're here with us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, oh, I'm so glad you're here with us as well. But you can read the book of John. John also wrote this book we're in, Revelation. But John is another book in the New Testament. And when you get to John 6, you see that all these people were following Jesus. But what we find out is they didn't really want Jesus. They just wanted the stuff that Jesus could give to them. And so Jesus says this epic thing. Um, you can't be my follower unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. 
What do you think everyone did? They left. They said, this following Jesus thing is not easy. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, come, take a bite of my forearm. It's really good. Or my back straps are awesome. You're gonna love those. Um, wait, I'll, I'll just tap into a vein real quick. It's not that. It's what we do and what we remember Jesus by each week as we take the bread and we drink the wine or the juice. We're reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And when we do that, we consume him. There's nothing magical. The bread doesn't become the body of Jesus. We're not into transubstantiation. But it's a symbol that I'm consuming you, Jesus. I'm reminding myself that I'm not in control. I'm a disciple of you. And when I said, Jesus, I'm in. I'm all in. You got me. I'm, I'm all about whatever you're about. That also means I'm submitting everything to you. I am not the, the maker of my destiny. I am not the name it and claim it guy. I'm what do you want to do, Jesus? And help me get behind that. Being a disciple of Jesus is not easy. And if anyone tells you that it is, they're a liar. If you read a, a Christian book and it's some guy's face on it with like two much bleach on his teeth and he's there to tell you how amazing it is and how every prayer of yours can be answered, just burn it. I used to get so upset in bookstores, I would hide their books, right? And I've, I've stopped doing that because I have better things to do. But when I was single, man, I had nothing going on. So I would just do that. Hot date by yourself at a bookstore. It's amazing. But it's not easy. It's not easy. Look at the circumstances that this church is going through. I know, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say that they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. There's literal affliction and literal poverty. These aren't nice image words. This is literally happening to these people at this time. And it's because of their faith in Jesus, because Christianity is illegal, it's anti-Rome. So as I mentioned before, people can't make a living. You wanna join a union and be protected? Uh, not if you're a follower of Jesus. You wanna join the guild? Uh, no, you're banned from joining the trade guilds. There's no protection for you. In fact, you're gonna become known in Smyrna as the follower of Jesus. Don't give your business to them at all. And not only will you be banned from work, but you'll also be imprisoned. So, so many of these Christians were being put in prison. So imagine this. I'm here to tell you this morning, if we're in the place of Smyrna, that all of your opportunities are lost. Any opportunity you thought you were going to have in this city, they're done. All the people that you thought you were going to be connected to, they're not even your Facebook friends. They blocked you from that. Like that's low when someone removes you as a face. Like that takes work and effort to remove people, right? Like you really have to be spiteful at that moment. But hey, whatever floats your boat. But you, I mean, at the church in Smyrna, you've lost all people and opportunity. No one's gonna come knocking at your door to do a job for them. Not only that, but you're slandered by the religious in your town. There are people literally just out to get you. Oh, and by the way, they're the people who are supposed to be the nice religious people. The people who are supposed to be kind to you and generous and, and, and good. They're supposed to be, at least in name, the people of God. 
Jesus was Jewish and he was the Jewish Messiah who came to rescue his people and not just the Jewish people, but to bring Gentiles, those who aren't Jews, into his people. This is the sweeping picture of the story of God, that this is for Jew and Gentile, for people from every background, every belief, that Jesus is truly the way, right? We all submit to Jesus. And so the people, the the Jews who are saying, no, Jesus isn't our Messiah, we're still waiting for him, this this group of people has now become about persecuting and bringing tribulation onto the new people of God. You see, the Jewish people saw Christians as being blasphemous because the Jewish people didn't believe that they were going to worship a, a crucified criminal as their Messiah. And yet that's the reality of what's actually going on in Christianity. We worship a a crucified Messiah who was accused of being a criminal. So the Jews couldn't do that. The Jews believed that, that the Christians were distorting the Jewish law to make it say whatever they wanted it to say for themselves. And they believed that there was an easy way of salvation being proposed. I shared it at the beginning, but it's just Jesus. The way to salvation, the way to rescue, the way to be transformed, it's just through Jesus. It's not through performing all these rituals and showing up at feast and doing this and bringing bulls and goats to be sacrificed. You can bring chicken wings to my house tonight if you're coming for Super Bowl, but you don't have to bring the right thing. You don't have to bring the right thing to be appeased or to appease God. Don't have to. Jesus was the last sacrifice. It's done. And the Jews were looking and saying, ah, that's bogus. It's too easy. It would never be like this. So they were slandering the Christians for not paying tribute to Caesar. So you know what Jesus says to this group? He doesn't say, ah, you know, they're the nice religious people down the road. He calls them a synagogue of Satan. That's pretty blunt. They're a synagogue of Satan. Synagogue of Satan. See, this is what Satan loves to do. Satan loves to use religion. Loves it. Satan even loves it when Jesus is attached to the religion. But here's what Satan doesn't love. Is when the religion or the belief involves Jesus and a cross and a resurrection. Oh, he loves Jesus. He loves that Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts. Right? He loves the idea that Jesus walks with me, Kanye West. Right? He loves all this stuff because it doesn't actually put us in front of a crucified Jesus who died for me because I couldn't do anything about it. In fact, I think that Satan's ideal world is not people running around naked having orgies everywhere. Right? Satan's ideal world is nice religious people dressing more appropriately than me going to a building, not just Sunday, but every day throughout the week that they can have their being nice and calm and peaceful, even singing songs about Jesus, but just removing the cross. When Jesus called uh, Peter Satan, it's a pretty intense thing to do as well, um, Peter was trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross. Jesus told his disciples, hey, son of man's gonna be delivered over 
Um, he's gonna be crucified. Three days later, he's gonna rise, right? Jesus is giving away the story to his followers. Peter, one of his disciples, stands up and says, no way, over my dead body, Jesus, no one's gonna get to you. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because Peter's trying to keep Jesus from the cross. The reason why Jesus came was to go to the cross so that you and I don't have to go to the cross eternally, paying for a rebellion, paying for our sins, so that you and I can find life. So this is what Satan loves to do. He, he's all about religions. Just keep the cross away. Keep the resurrection away. And, and he's okay with us. Satan's also okay with us, as long as we do one thing. He's like, all right, all right, you guys can be together. You can sing your songs about Jesus rising from the dead, paying for your sins on the cross, fine. But just believe me. No one in Montreal wants to hear about that. So it's okay that you wanna do it here in the theater, soundproof walls, fine, great. But just keep it private. Make your relationship with Jesus truly a personal relationship that you don't share with other people in any way. So Satan would be saying, you can be free. You can be free to the church in Smyrna. You can be free if you just make it private. Go ahead, burn a little incense to the, to the emperor, but just think in your mind, I don't really mean any of this stuff. Just, just be a part of it. You can keep your Jesus, it's fine. It's so tempting to compromise. Because we see our needs and we say, oh, how am I gonna be the provider of this? Right, the church in Smyrna, their trajectories are all gonna die. So the easy thing I would imagine, if I was a pastor of Smyrna, is okay, guys, uh, if we keep talking about Jesus, we're all gonna die. So why don't we talk about Jesus a little bit less? Maybe, maybe we should, we should burn a little incense because that'll keep us off and then we can keep moving forward, right? I guarantee that would be a temptation for us as a church because we would think, how do we protect this? How do we preserve this? As if the church was our idea, as if God said, I'm gonna send my spirit to dwell in my people, but people, I really need your work as well. I know the spirit rose Jesus from the dead and has power to, to rescue all of humanity, but people, I really need you to get on it. We're tempted to compromise all the time. So Smyrna, these, these people are gonna be imprisoned. Some of them are gonna die. Most of us are never going to face that in our lifetimes here. Maybe, but the trajectory doesn't seem so. But we're still gonna be tempted to compromise on everything so that ultimately we can provide and protect ourselves. And so the question is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? This is what the church in Smyrna has to weigh out. Is Jesus really worth it? Is what Jesus did for me and continues to do for me and will do for me, is it worth me saying all opportunity and people are gone. I don't know how this is gonna end, but it doesn't seem pretty. Job promotions, not in my future. Acceptance into university, no. Spouse, probably not. Things aren't looking great. Is it worth it? Put this to us, is, is it worth it? Is it worth it if you don't get the job promotion? Is it worth it if you don't get the spouse? Is it worth it if you don't have the future that you think you're gonna have?
because of who you are in Jesus, is it worth it? Is he, is he worth it? This is what Jesus wanted people to, to wrestle through before they followed him. Am I, am I worth it? After Jesus laid out, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and everyone left, his disciples were standing there, and he says, are you gonna go too? I mean, who, <laughs> Jesus is crazy sometimes, right? Like, who invites his closest people to go? If I was in that moment, I'm like, okay, guys, we need to, we need to hunker down. We need to think through, like, all right, there's 13 of us now. What are we gonna do? And Jesus is like, do you guys wanna go too? Here's your opportunity. And Peter says, where are we gonna go? We've looked everywhere else. You're the one who has the words of eternal life. You're it. You're our only hope. We have nowhere else to go. Is he worth it? Is he worth it? Jesus says you're already rich. You might not experience this richness in this life monetarily, but you're already rich. You have the one who owns all things. He's yours. He's your father. You've been brought into his family. You're rich. This is a lie that the enemy is going to do over and over and over. He's going to want to give you something for you to compromise, to be able to have. Look at what he does with Jesus. Matthew 4, 8 through 10. The devil took Jesus to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Jesus already owns all the kingdoms of the world, by the way. And he said to Jesus, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. If you just compromise Jesus one time, no one's here, just you and me, fall down, worship me, I'll leave all of this alone. You can have it all. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. It's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You're gonna be tempted to worship all kinds of things. You are a worshiper. We worship all the time. We always worship. Our hearts are oriented to worship the thing that we value most in that moment. The way that we overcome the temptations is this, what Jesus does. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall serve. You're gonna have to preach that to your heart a lot. Oh, I, I wanna do this, that'll involve compromise, but that's okay, because that's the future I want. But this is where it's, oh, no, no, my heart truly wants to worship the Lord and, and to serve him primarily. So if I don't get that, that's fine. I don't need to compromise because I'm already rich. I have everything that I need in who Jesus is. So after Jesus informs them that I know the things that you're going through, he gives hard future news to this already hurting church. Revelation 2.10 the beginning says, do not fear. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. I'll get to the second part in a minute. But more suffering is coming. This is why I said it's hard. Jesus doesn't say, but it's okay, in 10 days everything will be done. It's gonna be great, it's gonna be amazing. Don't worry about it, because these 10 days aren't 10 literal days, and we'll look at that in just a second as well. But Jesus is saying more suffering is coming. The devil's gonna put you in prison. You say, oh, phew, at least I'm gonna get like a warm meal and a bed. Prisons were not that in the first century, and prisons were not places you stayed for a long period of time. Rome was not interested in housing you and being like, you comfy, buddy? Okay, good, if you need another pillow, let us know. Prisons were waiting places for trial, for you to finally break, or until death. That's all prisons were used for. There's no maximum security long-term 
thing. But Jesus says to them, this, this trial, it's not going to last forever. It's going to be 10 days. Now, because this is ap- uh, apocalyptic literature, we can interpret some of this stuff with other places in the Bible, all right? So Daniel, in the Old Testament, we find this 10 days, all right? Here we go. Test your servants for 10 days. Here's what happened. Babylon had just taken people of God out of their place and brought them in to Babylon, right? They just overtaken the Jewish people. Now they had some of the best and brightest young people in their presence, and they were supposed to become cultured Babylonians. So they were learning a language, learning the customs. And one of the things was that they were going to eat meat and drink wine from the king. Now here's the problem, is that this meat and wine was dedicated to gods that were not the true and living God of the people of God. So Daniel had a problem with that. He and a few of his buddies, they said, we're not going to eat this. Look at what Daniel's plan is. Go ahead, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So give these guys that the meat will be the control group. Give us the vegetables, the water, and see what happens, right? So he listened to them in this matter, tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. You vegetarians, it's like you have a verse, right? It's amazing. The Lord has not forgotten you. Uh, you're not welcome to our Super Bowl party, but, um, but you have a verse at least, so that's good. So the idea of 10 days, 10 days, you'll be tested for 10 days. He's alluding to what happened in Daniel. You're going to be tested. What happened in Daniel when they were tested? The people who ate vegetables and drank water appeared in better health than the people who were eating meat and drinking wine. Like it boggled people's minds. God provided better for them. And so what Jesus is saying to his church is, as you're being tested for these 10 days, which aren't 10 literal days, but is a period of time, as you're being tested, trust me, regardless of the outcome of your time in that testing, what I provide is gonna be better for you. I'm always gonna provide better than what you're gonna receive by compromise. I'm always gonna provide better than what this world can give to you, always. Always. So this is what Jesus is comforting this church with. As you're being persecuted, as you're being on trial, what I'm going to provide is going to be better. So don't compromise for escape. Don't compromise so you just get out of this prison cell because I'm giving you real life. He says at the end of verse 10, be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. Jesus is saying to these people, you might never walk again in Smyrna, but I'm never going to leave you. Your feet might never leave that prison cell except when you're executed, but you will walk forever with me. Smyrna was a place that was proud of their faithfulness to Rome, but Rome is only for now. You might be faithful and and proud of your faithfulness to Quebec, or proud of your faithfulness to Canada, or proud of your faithfulness to wherever you're from. But this country can only, can only matter for the now. That's it. We're done. When we're before Jesus, I, I don't think this is going to happen. If I, I could be wrong. But I don't think he's going to say, all right, all Canadians get in this line. 
And you Quebecers, you know, get in the other line because, you know, we're just put you together, all right? Because that's what some of you wanted. Um, and then uh, all USA people, all there, great, you have your flag, I'm glad. All right, and all of you people uh, from Japan, you're here in China, like, we're going to line you up by countries. I don't, I don't think that's how it's going to go down. I don't think that's how it's going to go down because our citizenship is, is in heaven. Our citizenship is, is with a new king. And it's not just then, it's even now. My deepest identity is not the country of my citizenship. My deepest identity is that I am a citizen of heaven. I am part of the family of God. I am a follower of Jesus. I have a father who will make no mistakes. I have a father that only wants what's best for me. And that father is God. Don't compromise. The kingdom of this world is all about you getting what you want now. That's it. That's it. We, we all love instant gratification. We all love this moment. We all love the little red things on our social media that says we're important, but really it's just someone's birthday we don't even know. We're like, oh, I'm deflated. I don't want to write them happy birthday. It's going to take three seconds. Come on, right? We love instant gratification. We're junkies for it. And that's not the way that the kingdom of God works. It's not about instant gratification. It's about eternal gratification, eternal satisfaction with the one that's never going to bail out on you and is never going to leave you. And so Jesus looks his church in the eye, right? He, he lifts a drooping chin. He gets down. He looks the church in the eye and says, be faithful to me. I was faithful to you, for you unto death. You be faithful unto me. And most of you are gonna die but you keep your eyes fixed on me, the author and perfecter of your faith. And for the joy set before me, I endured the cross and despised the shame. And I've sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and I'm fixing your attention on me again. Look at me, look at me. Following Jesus isn't a pursuit until it becomes inconvenient or we become unhappy or we don't like what the pastor is saying or what someone else is dressing like, whatever. Right, so often we leave the church, churches for the lamest reasons in the world. Because we still think that things are all about us. We think that Christianity is all about us and it's not. It's about Jesus and what he's done and how he's brought you into a family that you don't belong to. But he loved you so much that he went to the orphanage and he picked the worst kids, you and me. And he said, I wanna, I wanna bring you into my family. That's what Jesus does. Paul says this in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. This is a powerful image. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. So here's the image that I often think about. It's, it's kind of a gruesome image, um, but the image is that there's a picture of me crucified in my mind. This is what Paul is saying, I've been crucified. So therefore, I, I've been crucified. How much help is a crucified person? Not much. How many of you wanna go visit crucified people? Probably none of us, it's disgusting, it's horrific, gruesome, right? But Paul is saying, we've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer we who live. So when I wanna go to, to my flesh, when I want instant gratification, when I want now outside of what Jesus has, it's me following Jesus then saying, ah, crucified me was nice. And I walk back and I say, ah, oh, I remember how it used to be. 
Remember what we used to do? Remember what life used to be like? Remember what used, people used to think of me? Remember how much power I used to have? And Jesus says, Dwight. I'm like, what? He says, follow me. I'm like, oh yeah, I don't want that anymore. I want you. And I follow Jesus. And then I get in my mind again, same thing. Things that I want from my old life. I'm like, hold on, Jesus, right? I go back. This is what it means to keep living out of the flesh that we go back to who we were before. Jesus died for us and we believe that. And so this is a picture of Christianity. That Jesus doesn't make it way off into the distance and say, Dwight, Dwight. Right, and at some point he gets too far. Jesus keeps coming back to me and to us as we pursue who he used to be and saying, I have something so much better. It's not dying and decaying, it's living. I'm alive, follow me, find your identity in me. So this is what Paul is getting at. Jim Elliott was a guy who literally died trying to reach people to tell them about Jesus. And he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You can't lose Jesus because he won't lose you. You can't let go of Jesus because he won't let go of you. In rebellious moments, sometimes our kids try and let go of our hands in the middle of the street. Really bright, right? Really bright but we don't let go of them. And sometimes it looks like a pulling thing, right? It looks awkward, but we're not letting go of them in the middle of the street. We're not letting go of them on ice, letting them you know, fall, get a concussion, be like, I told you, right? We're just not gonna let them fall. Jesus won't let his people fall. You can't lose him. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the Lord, but he's also the friend that we're all looking for. Uh, I, I read this at every sermon, every sermon, every funeral that I do. Every funeral that I do where I know that the person that passed away is in the presence of Jesus because of their faith in him. And even the funerals I do where they haven't been followers of Jesus, I invite people into this. It's from a guy named Jonathan Edwards. He writes this, Christ will give himself to you to your full and everlasting enjoyment. He will ever after treat you as his dear friend and you shall forever be where he is and shall behold his glory and dwell with him in most free and intimate communion and enjoyment. When the saints get to heaven, the people of God get to heaven, they shall not merely see Christ and have to do with him as subjects and servants, with a glorious and gracious Lord and King, but Christ will entertain them as friends and brothers and sisters. This is the picture of Jesus that we're looking for. We're gonna have people over this afternoon. We're gonna have a party. It's gonna be lame. It won't be lame. But compared to this, it'll be really lame. We're gonna entertain some people, become depressed if my team is losing probably. Uh, that'll be how it goes, right? but Jesus will entertain us forever. We don't need Netflix because we have Jesus. We, we don't need all these instant things to binge. We can binge Jesus forever, right? That Jesus wants to be our eternal friend that brings us eternal enjoyment. So I'll end with this. What, what does it look like to be faithful to Jesus unto death? What does it look like to be faithful to Jesus unto death? It begins with this, saying yes to him, not just no to other things. 
that we're not saying, oh, I'm a good follower of Jesus because I say no to all these things. But do you pursue him? Or do you pursue that you're no longer doing those things? So therefore, you consider yourself a great follower of Jesus. But nothing's really changing. You're just modifying your behavior. So it's saying yes to him and no to other things. So here's a few ways that it would be it would look different to be faithful to Jesus unto death. Word and prayer. We believe that the Bible, the Lord speaks to us through the Bible and through his spirit, through his people. We can pray and communicate, but oftentimes within the church, honestly, it's just like a ritual that we do. Oh, I read the Bible. Oh, I prayed. Oh, I did my community thing. Oh, done. But if we believe that we can be faithful to Jesus unto death through the word and prayer, then the word and prayer is for continued growth in knowing him. It's like date nights. Take my wife on a date night uh, once every other week now because babysitting rotation, it's great. Um, But date nights is so I can get to know my wife. I can keep knowing her better, right? It's not this legalistic thing. Great, I did my date night. I know her. How do I get to know the Lord? Through word, through prayer, through his people. What does it look like to be faithful to Jesus unto death? Well, your marriage isn't just about you being happy together, everything's good, or being mad, or your second or third or fourth marriage being good. Marriage is about displaying Jesus to your spouse, which means that you are put to death. Do you know what my wife doesn't need? More of Dwight, right? Oftentimes, I am an idiot in many ways, right? Confession time, right? Many times. My wife needs Jesus more than she needs Dwight. My desire is to display more and more of who Jesus is to my wife. And the same in her for me. It's about displaying the glory of Jesus and and seeing this beautiful one flesh thing getting worked out that was according to God's plan. Parenting isn't just about getting kids to be quiet. Stop it. Stop stop hitting him. Why are you doing? That's not parenting. Parenting is to display the love of the father to your children. I mean, I just knock it out of the park every day at this, right? Like, you want to see what that looks like? You know, watch me. No, like I'm, it's horrible. It's horrible. I live in that world of stop it. Just, just please stop it. Right, please. No Xbox. Ah, like these are, these are things that come out in that tone, right? But I can't help that tone. It was a gift from the Lord. Okay. I can't help it. I just, I'm loud. That's, it's always like, this is like muted too. I'm loud. But my desire is to show the love of God, the father to my kids. So they say, man, my dad, he's messed up in these areas, but the father is working through my dad so that I can see who the father is. That I want to show and demonstrate the love of the father for them. This is what it means to be faithful to Jesus to death. To be faithful to Jesus to death means that you're part of the church, not to consume what you can get from her, but to be family and to serve one another and to invite others into because we actually believe that Jesus wants to grow his people. It's not just for us. It's not, there's not a cutoff number. Mission would be about Jesus's agenda for rescuing the world through you, not just when it's convenient for you. Your work, being faithful to Jesus, wouldn't be for eye service to your boss or to just keep your job, but as a holy task for the Lord, that you'd be working for the Lord. Possessions would be seen from the perspective that I am a steward, I'm not a hoarder. I don't have a basement so I can pile things up in it. I see possessions so that I can now distribute them and give them away. Give away my money. I can give away my resources. I can be generous because it's all from the Father and he loves to give good gifts. 
I would view hardships not as God's unfaithfulness. Sometimes when we go through hard times, like, man, God is mean. God is hard. God is being unfaithful. He might be unfaithful to your plan for your life, but he's never unfaithful to his plan to rescue the world and reconcile all things to himself. So being faithful to God unto death is him being faithful to change us. God is faithful to change us. And then circumstances. Circumstances should not and cannot dictate our faithfulness. For this to happen, it requires an everyday fight to believe that, God, you are faithful towards me. You are faithful to change me. You are faithful to to transform me. So therefore, I want to be faithful. I want to find you as my my all-sufficiency. Man, we don't have enough time on a Sunday morning. Lord, give us more time. Give us more time. Because there's so much to say on this. Because life is so painful for so many of us. For many of us, we feel like the church in Smyrna. No, you're not going to get killed today. But there's real pain. But let me encourage you with this. You have no idea what your pain is going to result in in you. And you have no idea what your pain right now is going to do for others. So I mentioned Jim Elliott before. Uh, Jim Elliott was one of several missionaries that, that died trying to reach a tribe in South America. Um, one of the guys that died with him was named Nate Saint. Uh, Nate Saint died. He had kids. They grew up without a dad. And what happened in this story is that the, the man who was ultimately responsible for the death of, of Nate Saint, uh, his name is Minke became a follower of Jesus. Steve Saint lost his dad. Imagine the pain in that. Lots of pain. Some of you have walked through that already. I can't imagine losing my dad. Right? He lost his dad. Grew up without a dad. And then to find out that the one who killed your dad is now a follower of you and wants, or a follower of Jesus and wants to meet you. Wants to meet you. What do you want to do to him? bring a shank? You want to harm him? Instead, here's what happens. Minke adopts Steve Saint as his son. And Steve Saint adopts Minke as his father. The man who killed his own father. They become reconciled as a new family. I mean, this is crazy stuff. And here's what Steve Saint says. I have personally paid a high price for what happened. But I've also had a front row seat as the rest of the story has been unfolding for half a century. I believe only God could have fashioned such an incredible story from such a tragic event. This is what God does. We have no idea what what happened in all the stories because Smyrna was being persecuted and going through tribulation. But God loves to write these stories of hope. And following Jesus, it's hard to know how to apply this. Following Jesus might just get harder. That's what the text says. Following Jesus might just get harder. There's no guarantees that following Jesus will have any benefit for you at all in this world. None. But you have him. 
But you have him, and he's not going anywhere. And he calls his church, his people, to be faithful to him unto death, as he was faithful unto death and to life. So what do we do with him? Man, if you're here this morning, and you don't know Jesus, maybe this morning's when you say, yeah, I want him. I've been looking for that friend. I've been looking for that savior, that Lord. And you can be from any background. You can be dealing with anything. And Jesus says, I I died for you and I'm alive for you and you're mine. And you can be brought into his family. So we can receive him. You're here this morning. You can reject him. You can say, I want nothing to do with this. These people are nuts. These words, they're, they're nuts. But I would plead with you, investigate him. Go to, go to Alpha, meet with someone, investigate who this Jesus really is. What do we do with him? Well, we, maybe some of you have received him, but you hide. It's a private thing for you. You don't, you don't share this or demonstrate it in any way. And I would say, look at Jesus, ask him what he wants for you. Because I guarantee he doesn't want you hiding. He wants to declare and demonstrate his great realities through you. And what do we do with him? Well, we enjoy him and we display him to a city that says, yeah, Jesus has already been here. He's already done something that was part of our history. We've left that. We said, no, it's the wrong Jesus. That Jesus was, a, was in the name of Jesus, things were done abusively. But the true and, and living Jesus is here and he wants to change the city and he wants to bring life to this place. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna respond to Jesus. Jesus, you know how you want for us to respond individually this morning. Oh man, this text is is heavy on me. And I know that there are people here going through really hard and weighty things and they're wondering if, if this will ever go away. And the good news is that one day it will. One day it will, but it just might not be here. But even if things don't get better, you haven't left us. Even if circumstances don't change, you are still the first and the last, the one who died and who is alive forevermore. You don't stop being you. You are a comforter of the hurting. Lord, I pray for those who are here that don't yet know you, that you would bring life to them today, that you would help them to submit to you as as their leader. Lord, for us who, who hide who we really are, would you, would you call us out on that in the most wonderful way and help us to see who you really are because when we see who you really are, we wanna display you. And Lord, would you rescue this city? Would you make this, this city full of your people? Would you cause for there to be millions of people in this province who love you and declare you and may you use the work that you do here in Quebec uh, to reach the uttermost parts of the world. Would you comfort us as we respond to you, Jesus, because you truly are alive and that's our good news. We need you for everything. Amen.